Welcome to Streaming with Two Dudes, a podcast about all things streaming. Each episode, we break down some of the best series, songs, movies, and shows. I'm one dude, Parker. I'm dude number two, Jeff. And dudes, this week we're talking about An American Werewolf in London, a 1981 horror comedy film written and directed by John Landis. But first, Jeff, what have you been streaming? I'm still a loser this week. Okay. Not a whole lot going on. I right. managed to watch American Werewolf in London, and that's about all I've done. What about you? I actually finished up uh, that one show that we were ta- I was talking about last week. Um, I actually think I called it The Midnight Society, <laughs> which I guess is just like a slip up from watching Are You Afraid of the Dark so much as a kid, because that's what they called themselves. But it's actually called The Midnight Club was the show that I was talking about uh-uh. uh, that I was watching. And uh, it wasn't as great uh so i mean it was definitely one of mike flanagan's like lesser shows in my opinion maybe i need to rewatch it again because i started toning it out probably like in the later episodes it kind of started to lose my interest but one thing that i did watch was chucky i don't know if anybody else has seen that they did as a, like one season of it so far um and it's on param no peacock it's on peacock and I binged the first season. And I mean, there's only one season out right now, but it was really entertaining. Super, like, I, I mean, as we know, I'm a super big fan of Chucky and the Child's Play films. So that's probably the the best version of Child's Play or Chucky that I've seen in a really long time. And I really had fun with it. Well, now I'm kind of wondering if there's something out there that is called Midnight Society. And how appropriate is it since you probably sent people running to that particular show? <laughs> like, I mean, what, like what is it maybe is Parker watching? Maybe it just took them like if they Googled it, maybe it just took them to Are You Afraid of the Dark? And they got really confused because the premise is kind of the same. I mean, there's still a bunch of kids telling like scary stories, but it's not anything based around any kind of terminal illnesses like like uh, the Midnight Club is. So they probably were really confused. They're like, why? These kids don't seem like they're terminally ill at all. Um, if they did get sucked into watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? They probably weren't, they probably weren't let down, though. I mean, it's still probably a, I, I mean, I probably would say a better show, honestly. Um, I don't know. Midnight but, Society sounds like some 80s or 90s late night Cinemax show or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not one that I'm familiar with, and I was definitely watching those. All right, Jeff. So this week we watched your pick. Um, you're more familiar with this. I just watched it the first time a few days ago. I watched it the second time, you know, last night when I was taking my notes. I really don't know much about this. Uh, the only thing I'm the only thing that I'm even familiar with that anything as far as anybody that was involved with the film is John Landis, who, you know, was a writer and director, you know, I know him from stuff like yeah, the blues brothers was probably blues. Like one of the early ones that really put him on the map. Right. And then, um, animal house, right. Didn't he direct animal house? Yeah. Yeah. That one's probably one of the ones that I'm most familiar with. I know he also did three amigos and he did some Michael Jackson videos, but yeah. So, so tell me kind of more about the backstory that you know about this film and like maybe even like some of your story behind it. Well, you use the word familiar awfully strong because <laughs> I mean, I know that, I know it's been a while since you've watched it, but, and you know, I might as well have been watching it for the first time because nothing seemed familiar. But with it, with it being considered a classic, there's all kinds of interesting like tidbits and stuff. And 
you had mentioned John Landis, and this is one of those films where, like I said, it's considered a classic, but it, the bigger names are not from the actors. It's from John Landis and I believe Rick Baker was mm-hmm. his name, which was, you know, he did the special effects. And so those are really the big names coming out of this film. And it's funny that you mentioned Blues Brothers because movie executives had had actually hoped John Landis would cast Dan Aykroyd for the role of David and John Belushi as Jack. That was actually their hope. Um, But he refused. He wanted new faces. So, you know, he went with, uh, I think, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. And and really his only exposure to David Naughton uh, who played David uh, in the movie was his Dr. Pepper commercials. <laughs> That's interesting. So, Super interesting. But so, I mean, and this movie was kind of like about 10 years in the making mm-hmm. and he really had some, some challenges just getting financial backing because they believe that his script was too frightening to be a comedy, but too funny to be a horror film. So they were really conflicted on, you know, how this was going to work out and in, if it was worth backing financially. Interesting. Did he, how did he wind up getting, do you know how he wound up getting, getting the, the financing for it? Like what, like what pushed somebody over it or. Well, I mean, I I think, you know, with uh, the success of blues brothers, animal house, that definitely, definitely kind of pushed in the right direction. So, you know, this was kind of like a passion project for him. Yeah. And he knew Rick Baker was going to be involved the whole time. Um, so that was kind of like part of the deal, but Rick Baker was really kind of growing impatient. So, I mean, he had been waiting, you know, basically about over eight years. So he finally got to the point where he decided he was going to go help work on the film, The Howling. Uh, okay. Another popular werewolf movie that came out maybe the year after. But when Landis called him saying, dude, I've got the funding. Let's go. Let's do this. And he was like, dude, I'm already doing a werewolf picture. Landis was obviously upset. Mm. Baker changed his mind, decided uh, he left the howling in the hands of a guy that was considered his protege, I think Rob Botton. Um, So Baker ended up just kind of consulting on that other film and joined Landis on American Werewolf. And actually another thing that Baker did, he turned down an opportunity to work with Steven Spielberg because of obligations to this film. Take a guess at what film that would have been at that time. The Goonies? E.T. E.T. Yep. Baker had to turn down an opportunity to work on that one uh, so he could uh, help land us with this one. Another interesting thing that will really, I think you'll find interesting because of the comment you made, I think, last week. Landis actually ran into some issues getting work permits um, for all the American staff. Um, mainly the two actors. Um, he, he was good with him and Baker. He got that cleared right away. But the British trade union really wanted him to hire two British actors for the lead roles. But Landis wanted Americans to play the American roles, naturally. Right. So he considered naming the film An American Werewolf in Paris to huh. avoid all the red tape. And once that was thrown out there, they relented. They gave him the work permits he needed. And of course, as you had mentioned, I think you said you'd actually watch the sequel, American Werewolf in Paris, which actually Landis was not involved with, to my understanding. But it's funny, that's how he was looking as a backup for the title. And that's what the sequel ended up being. Interesting. Interesting. Just two more things I'll point out. Do you have any idea what the connection might be to Michael Jackson? Thriller. 
So Michael really, Jackson sure. was a huge fan of the film. So Landis and Rick Baker helped do Thriller, the video. What is probably considered, and you'd probably agree, arguably one of the greatest music videos of all time. Right. I used to watch it every Halloween on MTV for probably yeah. six or seven years for sure, straight in a row that I can remember at least. Yeah. Directed by John Landis and Rick Baker did a lot of the makeup effects and special effects for that video. So I thought that was pretty cool. And this film was the first ever in the history to earn the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Really? That category was created in 1981. So American Werewolf in London was the first one to win that award. That is some awesome trivia, dude. So uh, just a lot of, you know, that's one thing about some of the classics. There's just all kinds of interesting tidbits and so it was actually a lot of fun learning um, after I watched the film first and then kind of went back kind of read up on it and just a lot of cool stuff out there on it. Cool. Well, let's get into it. Um, we got the opening credits. We get shots of England's countryside playing Blue Moon. Uh, this is one of the first of many versions of Blue Moon. This one is Bobby Vinton's. Uh, it's kind of a slower version of it. Uh, we get Then we get to a shot of the of a road and a truck drives up carrying sheep and Jack and David, two Americans who are backpacking through England on the way to Italy. The driver drops them off and points them in the right direction and tells them to keep it off of the moors and stick to the roads. Jack's not having a great time. They come upon a village and stop at a pub called the slaughtered lamb. After asking about the five point star on the wall and upsetting some patrons at the bar, Jack and David decide it's time to go. Oh, they repeat the advice to stay on the roads and away from the moors in addition to beware the moon. The barkeep is upset at the patrons for letting them leave. The two men leave the road as it begins to rain and the people in the pub and the two men in the moors hear a wolf howling. Jack and David are hunted down with Jack dying after trying to help David up. David, returning to Jack, is attacked but saved by the townspeople who shoot the wolf before he is killed. I mean, that dude took off and left his friend. And <laughs> Yeah, he really did. And I, I mean, his fight or flight was like in step at that moment. I was like, you could tell like he didn't even think about it for, I mean, a good 10 seconds. Like it, Jack didn't even cross his mind. And then, you know, he hears Jack scream out and it finally like sinks in and the adrenaline kind of you know slows off down a little bit and he runs back and and it's i mean it's obviously way too late jack's already gone at that moment but yeah i'd read that um they said there was a lot of of the audience was very confused by that post attack scene where david looks to his right and he sees a naked dead man with you know the bullet wounds Mm -hmm. And I was confused at first because I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge like werewolf movie followers, you know, as far as how all that works. But yeah. I was a little confused at first and it kind of made sense a little bit later. But, yeah, they said that that seemed really confused a lot of the audience seeing a naked dead man. Yeah, I guess uh, it could, especially if you're not familiar with, you know, too familiar with werewolf lore. Yeah. You know, which if you're, you know, which I mean, I'm. Which in the early 80s, it, it would probably still been fairly new to most people. Right. It might have been novel to a lot of people, especially people that weren't, you know, big horror fans to begin with. I guess I found myself trying to figure out because I, I thought the actors kind of looked similar to one another. Mm -hmm. so I, just I had to kind of pay attention to their, to their jackets. Yeah. yeah. Like to what they were wearing more than their faces. We see our first, I believe what's our first blood 
um, in that scene. And of course, yeah. what was it they used in Cobra Kai? Um, John Kreese. <laughs> was it the pudding? The strawberry red put, pudding? The, or... the, no, the, yeah, the strawberry jello. Yeah. <laughs> strawberry jello. Guess what they used for blood in this movie? Uh, corn syrup. Cranberry jam. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess the consistency, like, it looks, I mean, like, uh, that makes sense, but man, that would suck. As somebody that like hates being sticky, that just sounds like a god awful time. Oh man. Whew. All right. David wakes up three, uh, three weeks later in a London hospital. David tells the hospital staff and Scotland Yard that he was attacked by a wolf, even though the police report and witnesses say that he was attacked by a lunatic. Okay. So I know this is a horror comedy. But I didn't really laugh too much throughout, you know, the whole movie. But the sergeant that is with Scotland Yard is introduced in this scene. And that bedpan, or not the bedpan, but the pans that the doctor, the doctors use. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene where he knocks them over. <laughs> that made me laugh the hardest in this entire movie. Like, I, I laughed out loud the entire scene. Like, he was... Uh, he was freaking hilarious. The sergeant, <laughs> the sergeant made me laugh every time he was on screen, dude. The dude was, the dude was comedic gold in this film. Like, I don't know. I've never seen him in before. I didn't really like research him or anything, but man, that, yeah, that scene right there, like it, it, I laughed both times I watched it. Like it, I couldn't wait for it the second time. It, he, I cracked up. Yeah. I mean, it's a trend that started gosh no telling how many years and years ago where you've always got that that one character that's just a complete buffoon just a complete utter idiot mm -hmm. <laughs> but but it's so entertaining it kind of took me back to uh i don't know did you ever watch the show cheers a little bit yeah it's it was a little uh, a little before my time okay, but i caught like, some reruns but like woody harrelson's character in mm -hmm. cheers you know he was just that perfect mold of just the complete idiot dummy <laughs> so so it was cool seeing a movie this old how you know they it's kind of they always use that character as well yeah he was great man every time i saw him I, I loved him i loved him so david's having weird dreams where he's running around naked in the woods hunting deer he's not craving human food but uh nurse price alex forces him to eat in order to take his medicine and the two become a little friendly she becomes, uh, and then she becomes a part of his dreams. She's assigned to keep him company, and the two get a little closer. And he has a brutal dream within a dream in which his, and first, his family is hunted down in front of him by a group of people dressed like werewolves. And then he wakes up from that dream only to have another person break through the window and kill Alex in front of him. And then he finally wakes up from that to see his dead friend Jack and he is actually awake. Jack tells him that he's a werewolf and the only way he can pass on is if David ends the bloodline and kills himself. David tries to tell Alex everything and they agree that all of it was likely a dream. Alex offers David to stay at her place after he gets discharged and the two get even closer. I don't know. I mean, like I've seen a lot of 80s movies I've seen my fair share of love scenes, but this was by far was the weirdest song <laughs> I've ever seen over a love montage in my entire life. The whole time I'm just like, what? This song does not match the vibe that is going on screen 
at all. And I don't even remember what was playing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it took, it took me out of it the first time and the second time, like anticipating it. It's just, it, it made me laugh. Like, un, like it was an unintentional like thing. Like the lyrics I could tell were, were meant to be, you know, kind of for the moment. But the music, it was just not fitting the vibe whatsoever. But well, I just I blamed actually, it on cocaine because of the time. Yeah, I actually read that uh, for that shower scene, mm-hmm. they actually had to build the shower because there were not a lot of showers in London. Huh. That makes sense. I found, I don't know, I guess I'm not extremely familiar with the culture over there, but I was like, I just... You know, I just assume showers are pretty common everywhere. Maybe they are now. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they just Which, I mean, they, much. I mean, they were kind of not that common even in the early 90s as a kid. I remember like they were kind of like a novel thing to even have, especially like a standalone shower. That was for, you know, the upper middle class to have just like a shower to itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe that's what they were referring to more. I was just thinking like a shower in general. Yeah. Uh, but I guess like a like a bathtub shower, which is what most people have, maybe wouldn't have mm-hmm. been, wouldn't have fit the scene right. Right. It would I mean, be kind of hard to... Because uh, uh, with that awesome music, you got to be sure the the, <laughs> the shower's right. Right. <laughs> but, it's it's hard to get sexy in one of those those showers, for sure. But uh, Jenny, I'm probably going to mess the name up, a gutter uh-huh. who played Alex, she joked in an interview that the day that they shot the shower scene... She was like, it was crazy because the movie crew seemed to double in size. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. She said all of a sudden men she had never seen before were kind of standing around pretending to be busy or doing things regarding the movie. And <laughs> she was like, yeah, the crowd got a lot bigger that day. I'm sure it did in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, so David uh, sees a decomposing Jack again who continues to warn him of the upcoming full moon. The doctor goes to the slaughtered lamb to inquire about the attack, where one of the villages confirms that the were uh, confirms the werewolf stories. Back in London, we see some creepy laughing girls with a dog. That was totally weird, man. They like any so love kids. Kids are great, but they can also be some of the freakiest things in the world too, man. Like kids laughing like that the creepy ones especially when there's like two of them laughing you know or you know like the shining or the omen all of these things that involve children super freaky man they always freak me out kid ghosts are by far the scariest ghost too i'm trying to find the gif but it's this little girl kind of shaking something and i'm not describing it very well but she looks to me just like that little girl in that scene you were just talking about. <laughs> if I could find the give, I'll have to send it to you and, and see if, or maybe even pull up the movie again and see how similar they look. But that's what it reminded me of. They kind of they actually kind of remind me of uh, the girl that played Molly in the look who's talking now. So is, is that the one with the talking dogs mm. or the dogs are talking? Yes, it is because that's, that's the third one, because yeah. So the little girl that plays her in, in that look who's talking movie, they they had the same like bowl cut and everything. So while Alex is at work, the full moon approaches and David turns into a werewolf for the first time. Which for the time, I mean, even now, those practical effects 
were amazing. They they stuck out to me the first time. Like I was when he, the first transformation. I mean, even though it's an hour into the movie, it was totally worth it. Like it it looked great. It it held up to this day. The transformation scenes looked better looked better than the werewolf when it was actually like hunting you know in the scenes where it was supposed to be like i guess the jump scares where you could see like the wolf jumping towards the camera to like you know show it attacking that didn't even look that real compared to the transformation scene which if they spent 90 percent of the budget on that scene it was worth it great great scene yeah landis actually expressed a little bit of regret on or that he said that that scene probably should have been shorter, mm-hmm. but he was just so fascinated by the quality of Baker's work and the effects that went into that, that uh, he just, that's the kind of way it ended up playing out is that he, like I said, he said, I probably spent too much time on that, but no. like he said, totally worth it. And Baker did spend a lot of time just for that one scene. And actually he was disappointed at first that more of it wasn't used. Mm-hmm. But then when he saw the reaction, he was like, all right, it was worth it. It still worked out. Yeah, that was perfect. Like, like you said, like it, it went on. It did seem like, like I couldn't believe it went on for so long, but I wasn't disappointed that it did. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things like, oh my gosh, this is going on forever. But the whole time I'm thinking that I'm transfixed to the screen, it's totally sucked in wanting to see what else is about to happen. And not only because I'm into the movie, but, you know, my technical mind, knowing that, you know, like this is all going to be practical, wanting to see more about what are they about to do next, you know? And that was just as much, you know, as exciting for me as actually seeing, you know, having to see David go through that as a character. So, man, I loved it. I, that was, this was the best scene in the movie. Oh yeah, that, that made the movie for me. To be honest, most of what I give the score is going to be based on that scene alone. To be like, I'll just go ahead and and before we get to the score, like go ahead and tell you like that was amazing. Knowing that it was made in 1981 and how well it looked, because I was expecting some claymation, but man, it was great. It was great hand like. I, I I don't know what I was expecting, but it was great. Loved it. Loved that scene. Best part of the movie. So Wolf David goes on a spree across London, killing some socialites, some homeless men, and a man in the in the underground station. The doctor and nurse Alex think think David may hurt himself and or others due to psychosis and try to contact him back at Alex Alex's flat. David wakes up the next morning in the wolf enclosure at the zoo. So, <laughs> yeah, so they definitely didn't talk about it very much, but he definitely uh, he he definitely had sex with one of those wolves. Right. Like, that's why he <laughs> that's why he broke into that. Like, like, that's that's what they're getting at. Right. Like, I don't know. I wasn't around for the early 80s, so I don't know their type of humor. But is that was that the insinuation? <laughs> was that the insinuation that because that's what I took away from it? I'm like, oh, yeah, he, he totally he totally banged out one of these wolves. Well, that wasn't the direction I was going to go. I was just going to throw in an interesting tip or a little fact <laughs> about that, that whole ordeal. But, <laughs> but I know. mean, right? Like, that's like, I'm not wrong thinking that, right? Like, 
I mean, if I'm being honest, my mind didn't go there, but <laughs> you do you, boo. You do you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why else he would be breaking into the wolf enclosure. <laughs> Because he is um, a wolf. <laughs> but he's not. He's not technically a wolf. That would be like if... Because, I mean, he didn't break into any of the other animal enclosures and kill and kill any of the other animals, you know? It's, it's like... I don't know, man. Whatever. Whatever. I know I'm not the only one out there. I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one that, that thought that for sure. Uh, so what's your, what's your tidbit of uh, information on this one? I need to get a drink. I need to get a drink after this. You kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but uh, so of course the, the, those were real wolves, and the only assurance that he was given was it's like you know hey, don't worry, they've already been fed. Just no loud noises or fast moves. So of course he was wanting to get that, that whole thing seen, or, you know, filmed very quickly uh, and actually filming actually overran. And at one point David looked around and was like, wow, y'all have a ton of extras over there. What's up with that? And they were like, uh, that's not extras. The, the zoo has opened now. <laughs> so he's having to do his run around naked scenes with, the general public walking around the zoo <laughs> dude it's not the public i would be worried about it would yeah, be that's true. the wolves for sure <laughs> like i don't know how comfortable how comfortable i would be having soft parts of my flesh flopping around <laughs> in front of wolves that's just not mm -mm. uh no sir so speaking of which he runs around the zoo naked and steals some items to make it through london and back to alex's where he finds out uh, where we find out that he didn't remember any of the night before. The doctor tells Alex to bring him to the hospital after reading the paper. Alex and David find out about the murders from a cab driver, and they jump out of the car. David, believing it was him, runs away from Alex to keep her safe. He sees Jack again at Piccadilly, at Piccadilly Circus and follows him into an adult theater where they're playing the film See You Next Wednesday. That was another. That was another hilarious scene for me that that like that was another part that i laughed out it wasn't as funny as the sergeant but that porn that they were watching <laughs> some of the moments in it were just cracking me up like when the guy walked in and he's like oh uh sorry wrong wrong room and, and then it's like oh it's okay and then he just leaves <laughs> like man great and so the, the i'm fun. actually a little surprised you skipped over a little section i think it happened before the end because i think it's after he storms out of the vehicle uh -huh. uh, when he thinks you know realizes what he had done or what he thinks he may have done but starts you know where he's he's trying to purposely get arrested oh yeah talking about queen elizabeth is a man and prince charles is I won't, <laughs> yeah i won't say the word because it hasn't aged well but shakespeare is french yeah that was great that was and, hilarious but interesting tidbit right there, the the woman that he walks up to and says something about, do you not think they should arrest me? And she says, you know, I don't know. Perhaps they think it's a prank. Yeah. Um, that woman was actually David Naughton's wife at the time. Oh, cool. Who, who played that little role. And the other thing, now that you brought it up, the the theater scene or the porn theater. Yeah. 
uh, when he originally like started writing this movie, that was not the plan at all. It was actually supposed to be like an old cartoon theater. Oh, cool. <laughs> Extremely vast contrast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but by the time he made the movie, England had converted all those old cartoon theaters <laughs> into, <laughs> into porn theaters. <laughs> so As one does. He adjusted the script accordingly. So, <laughs> and and Landis has this sort of like inside joke that would you say the name of the the porn film? See was? you next Wednesday. He uses that that phrase either in dialogue or like a poster on a wall mm-hmm. in almost all his movies. Yeah, I don't know if you called it, but it was actually uh, I called it the second time I was watching it in the scene where. David, when he's a werewolf, is chasing down the guy in the in the underground tunnels. Mm-hmm. One of the posters is for See You Next Wednesday. Uh, okay, and yeah. I don't know if it's like the same one that he uses in every film, but I did notice that, like, because, I mean, he kind of stops by it and you can kind of see it over over his shoulder, like, pretty clear. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's that's cool that they, you know, put that in there for them. Because, I mean, I knew that that wasn't, I mean, obviously, the way it, it's filmed, that it wasn't a real... A actual film so i thought it was really cool that they included that little tidbit you know even in the background of this film so it's really cool that that he uses that in like several of his or i guess pretty much everything he does yeah so jack almost fully decomposed now introduces david to his new undead victims david turns into a werewolf and kills a few more before escaping police and running down an alley with no escape Allie arrives and pushes through the crowd to get to David. She stands in front of him and they share a moment before David lunges at Alex where he is shot and killed, returning to human form as he dies and Alex cries. And we get the closing credits and the best version of Blue Moon, in my opinion, by the Marcells that we hear over the end. Man, I did did skip over the car wreck scene. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That was a pretty during, crazy scene during that time. So it was actually considered a big deal that that was part of, I think it's pronounced Piccadilly Circus. Mm-hmm. That was considered a pretty big deal to be able to film there. Getting any kind of permission was was very difficult. So he arranged a free screening of the Blues Brothers for 300 local police officers. Ah, And afterwards, he got permission he needed to, to film in that area. And that they had to stop traffic briefly a couple of times during the filming. And actually, Landis had a little cameo in that scene. Uh, he was the bearded man who gets hit by the car and thrown through the plate glass window. Oh, that's cool. And Baker also had a cameo. You remember the one of the nightmares you referenced earlier, where like like the werewolf Nazis or whatever come in and murder mm. his family yeah uh you remember the one that was actually holding the knife up to his throat yeah and then the one that was slicing it at the end that was rick baker oh cool <laughs> so i mean you like, could never tell you could never tell well yeah. yeah that's cool but yeah he got the ultimate cameo in that one <laughs> that's cool all right so jeff anything else you got to talk about in this film uh any other tidbits or anything we got for this one Sure, I got a couple more I can throw out there for anybody interested. I don't know if you noticed at the close of the credits, there was like a congratulatory message for the wedding of 
King Charles III and Lady Diana Spencer. I don't know if you saw that at the end. I, I thought I was like, well, that's a little odd to put at the end of the <laughs> the credits, but that no, was, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the end of the credits. I mean, it happened pretty early on. That was more of like a peace offering because of the the insults that he threw out throughout the movie, especially oh, when yeah. to, especially when he was trying to get arrested. So that was kind of a you know, hey, just kidding, congratulations type deal. Landis later on actually expressed regret. He had to change and cut certain scenes and sequences just to get an R rating. So initially he, he didn't even earn an R rating. He was, I guess it was too much. Mm-hmm. So like some of the sex scenes, he kind of had a tone down. And when the werewolf attacked, but doesn't really show it per se, um, the three homeless guys, mm-hmm. that was originally a much more graphic scene. So he more or less kind of cut that out. And then one, and then one that I wish wouldn't have been cut out, the undead Jack, you know, you know I think eats a piece of toast off uh-huh. of uh, David's plate, like in the room. Well, in another scene, that piece falls out of his throat. <laughs> <laughs> he had to edit that out. So he was a little disappointed in some of the changes he had to make just to get that R rating. That's interesting because they reused that gag later on. And I don't know if you've ever seen Idle Hands. I have not. It, it was like made in the late 90s. Well, yeah, right. two two guys come back as zombies in that film and one of them like he he has a, a hole in it well actually he he had his head completely chopped off and so he had just stuck it on and it was just kind of sitting on there and he eats a burrito in one of the scenes <laughs> and it just kind of squeezes out of the little hole and it's like everybody gets grossed out and they're like oh bro come on nice. <laughs> and causes them he winds up duct taking duct taping his head on so it covers up the hole at that point <laughs> it's great Nice. So uh, Landis and Baker actually disagreed heavily on the design of the werewolf. Baker was all in on a two-legged werewolf Mm -hmm. or bipedal, what they would call it back then, whereas Landis wanted the four-legged like hound from hell. Yeah. Um, So obviously Landis kind of got his way, but the werewolves used in the howling were the two-legged features. I don't know if that was influenced by Baker since he had a little bit of involvement or or exactly what. Far as the undead Jack, he would generally spend five hours in makeup to get all that done up for those scenes. <laughs> and those weren't very long scenes. So I imagine no. <laughs> that's a lot of work just for a little bit of screen time he got. But he did really great. Oh right? yeah. And I, I believe that was that was his first ever feature film. I mean that's the only I mean, thing I think I've ever noticed him in any, anyways. I mean I'm, if he if he told me he was in other things that I've seen, I'd probably it, I wouldn't be surprised. But like I said, I did, I have done. I let you be the research man. Yeah. So you'd mentioned you know the Blue Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really wanted the song Moon Shadow by Cat Stevens, uh, but Cat Stevens did not give permission because he legitimately believed in werewolves, <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't want his song used. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Bob Dylan, he wanted Bob Dylan's version of Blue Moon, but Bob Dylan had went through a recent conversion to Christianity and didn't want it used in the R-rated film. He also wanted Elvis Presley's version of Blue Moon, but there was a lot of lawsuits involving Presley's estate at the time. Yeah. So he could not get permission to do that either. So there was a number of songs he wanted, but it wasn't able to use. Um and actually you know how movies work. They kind of just work in trends where it's like 
in a five-year stretch you see all these like in world time or asteroid movies and this one kind of hit the cycle of werewolf movies you had wolfen you had the howling one two and three teen wolf teen wolf two full moon high so there was just a like the early mid 80s man it was just werewolf movie after another yeah and lastly not really an interesting tidbit but by far my favorite quote in the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) i'll probably be the only one that says this is my favorite quote in this movie but i just thought it was absolutely hilarious when alex tells david i find you very attractive and a little sad (laughs) (laughs) yes yes (laughs) like oh my gosh actually i think she says it i think she says uh, the reverse i think she says i think she says i find you a little bit sad but also attractive. Oh, that is awesome. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of very interesting little tidbits on this classic. And and I'm, I'm sure there's a ton more out there, but those are just kind of some of the ones I wanted to hit on. Well, awesome. Awesome. Who is your dude of the week? I'm going to let you go first this time. All right. Um, yours. So we kind of talked on him a little bit, but my dude of the week is going to be the sergeant. I, I actually enjoyed him quite a bit. And even though he was, you know, we, we kind of called him a buffoon, he actually wasn't dumb. He he seemed dumb because he was one of the ones that actually kind of believed David. And he, but he kind of, if you pay attention, the second time I watched it, he was the only one that was ever always kind of like, well, maybe, maybe he's right, you know? They kind of played it up for last. But I mean, at the same time, if they would have listened to the sergeant and actually, you know, let him go with it, go with his instincts, he would have been right. And he would have, they could have saved some people's lives. So my dude of the week is the sergeant for not only being hilarious for every moment, but for only being the only person, including Alex, who loved David to be the only person that actually believed David the entire time. So I'm going with the sergeant about you. Solid choice. I'm going to go with Mr. Griffin Dunn, who plays Jack. All right. That's Um, a good choice. I mentioned the hours and hours of makeup he had to sit through. And and like I said, he doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. So you figure he spent most of his time sitting there with all this stuff over his face. You know, he said at times he felt claustrophobic and... But I I thought he did really well. And But yeah, just to... You figure during that time special effects was still kind of finding itself trying to it was still somewhat new to a degree mm-hmm. so uh props to him to, to sitting through that and that being his first feature film so yeah he's my my dude of the week great choice so your dude is the actual actor and i mean is the actor yeah but i mean uh, he, he played jack so okay jack so as well the, the actor and the character both you give him yeah. okay all right a two for one. I'll give it to you. Do do. I do dude. You do. All right. All right. So yeah, let's get into our ratings. I think that's what we do next. I'll be easy. Out of full moons. We'll say out of five full moons, five being the best, zero being the worst. I'm gonna give this one four full moons. I'm not a huge werewolf fan in fact out of all of the the creatures you know that's probably the one i'm least interested in i mean they're they're always 
fine, but werewolf movies are always very formulaic. But this one, man, it it definitely I can see how this one would have set a bar at the time because it was great. The setting was great. Usually, you know, so depending on what it is, sometimes I have a hard time staying interested in, you know, older films, especially the ones, you know, from the 70s and 80s, like early 80s. It really has to like be something that I'm really interested in. So for this one to be like not, I mean, even though I'm a horror fan, for this to be like werewolves and also not necessarily be a funny film, like a real comedy, it really held my attention the entire time and that's a you know that's a huge deal for me but i enjoyed it thank you so much for showing me this one man i really appreciate it um i know you didn't have any real memory of it but your instincts were spot on you did a great job four solid full moons for me what about you man man i struggled with this one a lot and it's one of those where it's like I changed my rating every time I think more about it. Uh-huh. I wanted to love it, not just because I it was my suggestion, but just because it's considered a classic. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be really good. And I'm not going to lie, when I first started watching it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like horrible. I just, I wasn't into it at all at the beginning. But the other struggle is, is I'm trying really hard to watch it through the lens of the early 80s. Yeah, because obviously nowadays that special effects is laughable to a degree. So I was trying to keep in mind that, you know, what would it have been like to watch this movie in the early 80s? Mm-hmm. Kind of like kind of like what you would do with Jaws. I mean, because because obviously this movie is a classic mainly because of the special effects. And, and like you, you talked about the transformation scene uh, quite a bit. Iconic scene. He, he approached that, I think, differently than a lot of other people. Uh, he showed it more as a as a painful process. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting, unique. I, I love this take on it. So I really wrestled with it. it I, I started to enjoy it more as it, it kind of moved along. And but to me, the ending was just very weird, odd, and abrupt. I don't know. It just I don't know. I, I struggled with this one. I really did. But then, like when I started reading up on it, I started to appreciate it more. Um, and after watching it again, I, you know, I did have a a little bit more of a love for it and, and really trying to envision it. What would this have been like watching in the early 80s? And I can definitely, I mean, for him to have to tone it down because it was almost too scary in certain spots tells you how scary it was at that time. And, and I can see where, you know, parts of it were like, wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty freaky or pretty scary. Uh, so I did start to appreciate it more. But, you know, like initially I was thinking man, this is going to be a two, two and a half for me yeah. Uh, because I felt like it relied so heavy on the special effects and, and, and how trend setting it was at the time mm-hmm. that it's almost like they didn't pay enough attention to the other areas. Like I didn't necessarily think the acting was superb. Uh, I thought the storyline in a lot of ways was weak. You know, I look at a movie like Halloween that was from like 78 and I feel like it stood the test of time really well. Mm-hmm. Now, the advantage Halloween has is it wasn't relying on special effects right. very much. But just the story, the creepiness, the scare, I felt like held up really well. Whereas to me, if you take away the special effects and what it meant at the time, 
uh, from this movie, I'm not sure what you're left with. I feel like other areas could have been a lot better, and I feel like it would have aged a lot better. But having said all that, my final is still a solid three and a half, just because I I, I totally understand why it was so popular at the time. Uh, there's pretty scary, some freaky stuff in there. The special effects, obviously, at the time, uh, I, I can see were, were definitely top notch. But three and a half is, is where it's going to land for me. So not too far from your, your four, but uh, I was really close to just sticking with a three, but it's like, I don't know if it was sympathy or just an appreciation for the work. I decided to bump it up to a 3.5. All right. So with an average score of 3.75, that gives it puts it at the number two spot so far for our horror films and really our films all together. Um, it puts it below the black the black phone and above Fear Street 1994. Yeah, but I, I do gotta know what would you say your favorite werewolf movie is? Do, 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 do. That probably should have been like a question ahead of time. No, I'm really I'm going through them honestly in my head because I'm trying to think. I'll share you mine, which will probably be like, really, Joe? Come on! But like I said, I'm not big into werewolves, kind of like what you had mentioned. But to me, it's hands down, it's Teen Wolf. See, I, I absolutely. Especially when I was a kid. Man, I was I watched, never a big ter- a Teen Wolf fan. Man, like the, the first one, you know, Michael J. Yeah. Fox. Man, of course, you know, that, that wasn't like a horror flick by any means. It was all about comedy, teen, high school shenanigans. But man, I absolutely love that movie. Watched it so many times as a kid. And like I said, I don't have a long list of werewolf movies I've watched or have cared to watch. But yeah, it's Teen Wolf all the way for me. Uh, mine would probably have to be Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And that's a stretch, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, serious black, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I mean, outside of that, uh, I mean, there's a werewolf and big fish. Does that count? Sure, it's we'll go really with that. A, it's not really a werewolf or the monster squad. Um, the werewolf's got nards, you know. Have you ever seen that one? No, I have not. <laughs> uh, well, you got to watch that next time we get into like either kids' films from the 80s or something like that because, man, Monster Squad is great. Uh, even if we have to watch it next next Halloween, hopefully it's streaming on something because I'm going to make you watch that one. That's, that's a good one. Um, so let me, let me ask you this, and this might be the reason why there towards the end I bumped it up a little bit in, in my book because it made me wonder did this movie help pave the way for, let's say, films like Scream? As far as, you know, I mentioned earlier that he struggled getting the financial backup because they're like, dude, you're mixing way too much comedy and horror in the same flick. You know, it's too funny to be a horror flick. It's too scary to be a comedy. Uh, I'm not sure if they were the first one to do it, but probably the first extremely well-known, maybe... To, to mix it to that level and then of course since then we've seen it done numerous times of course screen's one of my favorite so it kind of made me wonder you know of course I haven't watched interviews from the creators of screen but i wonder if that if they felt like that kind of helped pave the way uh, for them to be able to do those type of movies 
think so, but I think there's always been some kind of comedy element to horror. Um, even though it's not, I think, you know, there's always, cause you always kind of want to have that break to kind of give people, you know, either let their guard down for a second or just to kind of, you know, break the tension. And they honestly, you know, they complement each other so well because, you know, after you're feeling so tense, you, you want to release and comedy is a good way to do that. So even like crappy jokes can sometimes, you know, land a little bit harder. I don't know if, because I mean, like I said, I would, it, as far as mainstream, like where horror was at at this time, it probably was on a rise. So I don't, I would say that, you know, it, it, it definitely helped um, because I mean, we, we see comedy, I would say, I would say more directly just influence Wes Craven in general. Because he he starts doing that with the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you know, he kind of I mean they kind of get too silly in certain spots, which I don't think he had any control over. But we definitely see you know some stuff get more silly into the eighties and in the nineties, and where it just becomes a little bit more natural when we get to scream like the comedy in it. So I mean, yeah, in a way, I guess <laughs> to answer your question, uh, without you know writing a whole entire thesis on it, yeah, um, in some some way, yes, it does influence some like level of scream. Yes, <laughs> Beavis, it was a yes or no question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, short answer, yes. So, what were your feelings about the ending? Um, I actually enjoyed it. You know, I would have to really watch it a few more times to really understand what like kind of get into the conversations that him and Jack were having to see if maybe, you know, a reason as to why this character maybe deserves the fate and maybe he, you know, didn't, you know, maybe he just doesn't. It's just, you know, a, a thing that happened to him, you know, just shit happens sometimes to good people. But I mean, he, he was destined to die or else, you know, he was being selfish, staying alive. And even if he didn't kill more people, he was, you know, creating the people that he did kill. He's creating hell on earth for them because they're literally stuck in a purgatory, you know, that he's created for them. So, you know, he had to die. And I think there's a, a lot more to the ending. It would definitely serve rewatches. And you'll understand a little bit more maybe because I don't really have a good explanation, but I didn't hate it. He had to die. I knew he had to die. There really wasn't anything else to happen after, you know, that could happen after he died. So I was totally fine with the ending the way it did. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even like, I don't have issues with what happened in the ending. I mean, you know, I I figured ultimately him dying was the way it was going to end up, but I don't know. It's just, it's almost like, you know, we talked about how other shows or movies where it's almost like they just ran out of time and they had to cut it short. Mm-hmm. It just felt rushed. It's like, okay, he runs down the alley and, you know, Alex runs after him. He has that brief moment of, you see the facial expression change a little bit uh, where it's like, oh, he, he recognizes the voice or whatnot. Yeah. And then lunges and he gets shot. Movie over. I don't know. It just, just the way it all played out just seemed a little odd and almost rushed. 
Which now he did say that he believes that only someone that loves the werewolf can kill them. So I don't know if like that has to do with, you know, what went on because she's like right before, you know, he lunged at her, she told him that he loved, you know, she's like, I love you. And then he lunges after a few seconds. And so I'm wondering if that had anything to do with it. Like he knew, like he, like maybe he knew that the police would shoot him if he lunged at her. And that's why he did it. I would definitely have to like do a little bit more investigating and, you know, maybe a few rewatches just to kind of form my own real conclusion on, on what actually happened and and why it seemed like it was rushed, but I don't feel like it ended so abruptly that way. I think it just kind of seemed that way because like I said, we didn't see him even turn into a werewolf for the first time until an hour in. And this is only an hour and a half, you know, so we only see the werewolf for 30 minutes. And even then, even in that the first 30 minutes or the 30 minutes of him being a werewolf, he's still a human for a good, you know, 10, maybe even 15 minutes of that. So, you know, maybe that's one thing that you're maybe just like, maybe I want to want, maybe you wanted to see more werewolf. Like what, for me, I don't know what else I could have added to the ending to make it, not seem rush, but without just adding more time for nothing, you know what I mean? For no reason, because I mean, there was really no, nothing else for him to do other than to kill more people, I guess, because there really wasn't anything else to resolve. It just could have, you know, maybe, maybe more action, but I mean, they already had to, you know, clean out some of that just to even get the R rating. So maybe that's what it is. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Do you have any other thoughts about this film? No, I think I think about covers at all. Like I said, uh, I know it sounded like I was a little negative there towards the end, but I, I still enjoyed it. I, I appreciated watching a classic like that. Uh, I think that's the only one we did out of the series we're going through this month that was kind of an older classic. So I still have a deep appreciation for it, for you know, for what it meant and for. Um, especially for during that time period so uh you're allowed to not like films every once in a while it's okay but i mean 3.5 <laughs> still a solid score yeah it's still uh, above, still well above average i ain't mad at you but i would still watch black phone again in a heartbeat before i'd watch this one again fair enough fair enough so ne- we watched just film this week next week is going to be my pick we're going to watch scary stories to tell in the dark it is on Netflix. As of this recording, I don't think there's any plans of removing it. I haven't seen anything. I actually have seen this recently, but I'm have a really strong ties to I have a really strong ties to the books that this film is based on. I'm sure, you know, maybe maybe people around my age, maybe even younger also have the same experience. Um but these horror books, these they're like a bunch of short horror stories um they were called score st- uh stories to tell in the dark more stories to tell in the dark scary stories like yeah just in the illustrations that went along with them were so creepy and as a child loved it there was three in the series i read all three of them from the library so many times and big part of my childhood and I recently watched the film a couple of, I would say within the past year, I've watched it and it did not let me down. Uh, So 
I'm excited to share this one with Jeff and with you guys. So I could have swore you said it was supposed to be scary Care Bears. Oh, scary Care Bears. No, 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 no. That's, that was a secret recommendation. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to be under the table. So this was scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes. Scary awesome. stories to tell in the dark. We will be watching that one this week and reporting back to y'all on it next week. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars and a review really do help these dudes out on the charts. If you have a thought or idea about what we're watching, please email us at streamingwith2dudes at gmail.com or join the Streaming With Two Dudes Facebook group. Links to our Patreon and our socials are in the show notes. Thanks again, and remember to have your werewolf spayed or neutered.